I hate to start the new year by saying, I told you so. Uh, but I told you so. I told you we were going to have a great party. And uh, we have a few hundred people here that evening. And I've been attending this church uh, for almost 12 years now. I've never been to any event uh, happening in this 393 North Lake Avenue campus. Uh, so celebratory uh, like that and ushering in New Year uh, with uh, real friends and family and this family that will last till eternity. Uh, and I just want to thank you for everyone who... In any reason, he would just take the step to follow him. See... If it was a Roman centurion who came to Matthew and said, Hey, Matthew, come on up. He has to follow him, right? He has to follow him because he has to obey the power, like the centurion or the power. Or if it was the high priest of the temple who comes and says, Hey, Matthew, follow me. He has to respect the authority and he would follow the priest. But Jesus was none of this. Jesus was just a wandering preacher. He didn't hold any office. He didn't have any credibility. He didn't have any credentials in the society. And so, but there was something about Jesus. There is something about the personality of Jesus that captivated the imagination of people. Now, that is very important. Now, one of the first way that Jesus starts his ministry in Luke chapter 4 where he goes up to the synagogue and he starts reading this, uh, uh, reading the scripture, you know, in the synagogue, that episode where they end up throwing him down, or they tried to throw him down the cliff. That's the story, right? But even in that situation, which is very hostile, where, where you know, they, they are actually doing something very atrocious to Jesus. Even in that instance, there are some verses which are very interesting. This is what Luke chapter 4, 20. Luke chapter 4, 20 says, The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were glued because the way this man walks into the stage... The way the man opens his mouth, their eyes were so glued to him, even though he didn't like, they didn't like what he said. They were just about to throw him down the cliff, but they still couldn't look away from him. There was something about Jesus that attracted them on going to, to go on a journey with him, right? And then go further down, 422, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. There was something about Jesus. And you see that again when um, uh, Jesus approaches Peter. Right? Peter was trying to fish and, you know, he didn't catch anything. You know the whole story. And the Jesus comes and says, hey, Peter, by the way, why don't you throw the net to the, to the, you know, the Sunday school story. And then here comes Peter. This is what Peter says. This is um, Luke chapter 5, 5. Peter says, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. This is the dilemma, right? They have been working all night. Now the next thing he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
because you say so. What does that even mean? What does he know anything about fishing? I mean, it's not like Jesus is an expert on fishing or anything. It's not like, I mean, he, I, he, Jesus had no such background. But, but there is something about his words. Even though he doesn't know, Peter knew, Jesus knew nothing about fishing. But there was something that, that made him do what Jesus asked him to do. Now, this is extremely important. We start the journey with that kind of captive imagination of walking with the Lord. And I'll explain why I'm saying this. And the second part of the journey is that the moment he started following Jesus, Matthew was inducted into a community. That's what happens. Now, you know Matthew was the rich guy, but he was also ostracized in that society, right? Like as a tax collector, it was not that anything to be hated because of a tax collector, as you probably know. The story is that, not the story, the history, is that at that time, Israel was an occupied country. And then here comes Romans, who are the occupier. Now, the tax collector is somebody who is working for the oppressor or the occupying force, which is Romans. That itself makes that person a traitor. So Matthew, being a tax collector, by definition, is a traitor. He works for the occupying force. Not only that, the way the system worked, that it is not like, you know, they have the, the regular computerized system like we have, and you cannot just escape the tax man. It's not the way that time, there was a systemic issue with the way they collected tax, tasks, uh, sorry, tax. <laughs> so what they did was, uh, the Roman Empire had different territories, so they cannot go and collect taxes from everywhere. So what they would do is they will auction off the rights to collect taxes in each territory to different people, different contractors per se. So in that area of Israel, Matthew was the tax collector, which really means that Matthew auctioned off the right to collect taxes. So it's a risk actually Matthew is taking. So he will go to the emperor and say, I will pay you this much tax irrespective of what I'm collecting. So the Roman emperor doesn't care whether, whether each Joseph or Mary or all their pay, pay their taxes. They will say, okay, you need to pay us, say, $100,000 or whatever that is, right? An amount you have to commit. But once it is committed, then it is for Matthew to make up that, 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 that money. If he collects less from the people, then he will lose money. But if he collects more from the people, then he can keep that money. So it becomes a business. Now what that means is that Matthew who auctioned off the right, or auctioned, auctioned the right to collect taxes, actually is trying to, to extract as much money as possible from the people. That's what he is trying to do. That's the job of a tax collector. That's why they hated the tax collector because the tax collectors were like the mafia at the time, like the godfather kind of a figure, right? They had the thugs and the, the wise men, you know, around them, and they go there and do the dirty job because the more they collect, the more money they make. So in multiple level, he was ostracized from the community even though he was the richest guy in the area. But here, suddenly, he was inducted into a community. It is so eclectic in nature because Jesus' community, 
it's funny when he walks into that community, one of the guys in the disciple group is Simon the Seller. I don't know how many of you know him. He is not that talked about. Simon, we don't even know much about him. Simon the Seller was one of the disciples of Jesus. Now, we know something from that title. The zealot really means he is an extreme nationalist. That's what it means. To the extent that he is a terrorist. He was a terrorist because he fought for the freedom of his country from the occupying force that is against Romans. Now, he had a conversion and he came into the group from one side and then comes Matthew from the totally opposite side. It is like an extreme Republican or extreme Democrat coming together to form this community. And in, in so many ways, there are so many things they might hate e about each other. But there is this one common vision and passion that knit them together into the tapestry of what we call a discipleship, disciples group. Now that he belonged to a community. He was inducted into a community and the third thing he does is very interesting. When Matthew, the, the moment Matthew joined this group, the first thing he did was form a missional community. He threw a big party at his house. And he thought that's a great, he was wondering, what is, the, how can I bring my friends? How can I bring, bring all my, uh, my little colloquium, like you know, all my groups, into the saving knowledge of Jesus? What would attract them? What is one thing common to Jesus and my friends? What is one thing common to Jesus and my tax collector friends? He thought, uh, they both love a party. You know, Jesus started his ministry with a party, right? Cana, the miracle of Cana, it's a party. Jesus loved partying. Jesus loved potlucks. You know, Jesus loved a little dance, and I assume, I imagine some of this, right? So Matthew thought, this is a great way to do evangelism, right? It's not just about door knocking and, you know, giving tract, and sometimes you have to do all of that. But he started a missional community at his home where he invited all these people and say, let's celebrate together. This is not about religion. This is not anything, but we are going to celebrate together, and there comes the master, and there comes the conversation. Now, all I want, to know, to, want us to know today is that this is the same journey the Lord is calling us to do. This is, the, this is the exploration we have to embark in some way. So I'm going to give you, show you a picture, which I have shown you before, but I have, a, so this is what I call a discipleship pathway. Uh, so I'm going to give you a brief, you know, a couple of, a few seconds to look at it. So this is what I call discipleship pathway. So the journey this comes from, as you know, the stickman figure in the Campus Crusade diagram, as you, know, you probably remember the four spiritual law and all of that. Four spiritual law end with the first part of this diagram. I added the second part. The, the four spiritual law basically says that there is a chasm, there is a divide between God and humanity with Jesus bridged through his cross, which is exactly what happened. So it is inviting us to walk through that bridge and come to the salvific knowledge of, of 
of Christ. And there, normally in the Campus Crusade diagram, there's a chair instead of a church, uh, which really means that you come and rest with God and enjoy the rest of your life, which is kind of true. But not exactly. There's a part B in that journey they didn't want us to know at that time. But let us know right now. There is no chair when you come, okay? There is no chair when you come. And actually, there's a deployment. And the, you, are, you, you are coming with an assignment. And because there is an, another chasm, there is another divide between church and culture. There is another divide between secular and the sacred. And that has to be bridged also. And now that is our job. That is our assignment. You're not coming here to sit in a nice chair and take notes and wow, what a great music. That's not why you are here. You are here to be deployed back into your neighborhood, back into the culture where there is this big divide which is consuming our next generation, swallowing our next generation, and it is for us to go and bridge that divide. How do we do this? Exactly what Jesus did on the cross, by mirroring, by reflecting what he did on the cross. You enter into that gap and, and bridge it on both sides. We are called to be bridge builders. Now, that is the three steps to that journey. One, this is going to be our slogan for the next season. And if you walk around the campus, I said, take down all the posters. I don't want people to see anything other than these three things. Okay, so you, you know, all the programs, everything is, is done for a, at least for a month. Three things I want you to remember. We start this journey with stop number one. By believing in his name. Believe in his name. Like I said, we are a Jesus club. We are not a social organization. We are not here to improve the quality of life of the world. We are not here to, do, to help the community around us. We are here because we are Jesus fanatics. We are here because we are captivated by what Jesus did on the cross. And that is the only reason we start this journey. Otherwise, there are better clubs out there, better social organizations out there with more money, more systematic understanding of how to reach out to the community. No, we are here because of Jesus. We believe in his name, which is above all name. I'm going to read a couple of verses. These are very important because I still remember I was preaching in a church in Toronto. I used to preach there regularly. I don't want to say it, but it was my church. My senior pastor really appreciated me. I was the associate pastor. I remember one day he asked, he asked him, he said, Matthew, I really like your sermon. Very good, very good job. People really like you speaking. But can you say, can you use God instead of Jesus? Because I always say Jesus, Jesus, and say, because it's a downtown Toronto church, there are a lot of people walking, there are a lot of atheists, or there are people, it's secularized people walking, there were Muslims walking, there were Jewish people walking. So it's much better if we say God instead of Jesus, which will be a little more inclusive for people to hear. And I remember, wow, 
the way the world has turned out, you know, I, I know he did, he said that with, with the right intention, he's a great guy, and this is not supposed to be a, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm not indicting him for anything, but this has become more common. We downplay the name of Jesus in many, many church circle. That's what bothers me, but we are here because of that name. Acts chapter 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, 10, 10 and 11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should, uh, should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We cannot downplay the name because that is exactly where the journey starts. We believe in his name. Lake Avenue Church community is our identity. Our DNA is that we believe in the name of Jesus. As simple as it sounds. <laughs> Second part of the journey is that we belong to his family. Once we believe in his name, we belong to his family just like Matthew did. See, especially now because of the digital revolution, a number of Lake Avenue Church, uh, which I consider as part of our church, are online. People send tithes regularly who has never stepped into this church uh, for a long time, which is all good. There are people who listen to my sermons and c write comments uh, and help, you know, interact with me, which I, I'm always glad to hear. All of that is wonderful. And if you're hearing me out there, and if you're there uh, for health reasons that I understand, but see, in the Garden of Eden, God said, it is not good for a man to be alone, Right? It was not just meant for man. It's meant for women too. It's meant for everyone. That's the way God has designed us. There is a loneliness button somewhere in there. There is, there is something that makes us lonely, irrespective of how much we learn. And so God could have just tightened that loneliness part and then fixed the problem. No, he didn't fix that problem. He fixed it by giving a partner. Now, I'm not just talking about marriage. The whole idea of church itself is a big marriage. We are, going, we are betrothed to the church, the idea, to the Lord. The idea is that please don't think that you can survive by, on your own. It is important that you belong to a community. So this is exactly why last year, this time, we launched a campaign for Rooted. And I know around 1,100 or so people became part of it. It was one of the most exciting time at that, exciting thing at that time because people suddenly, especially after coming out of COVID, a sense of belonging. We had this discipleship rhythm in which we connected, seven different rhythms in which we connected. So I strongly recommend that you have not been part of a rooted group. Please make sure you check that out. That is your pit stop in belonging to this family, belong, we belong to him. So believe in his name, I forgot to mention, is one other thing we do here is Alpha Course. And if you're a new person, you don't understand what the people are talking about, what is the faith thing about. Alpha is an introduction to Christian, Christian faith. 
It is a systematic program. It's a fun program. It's a plug-and-play curriculum. There are videos in there. There's a party associated with that. There is food associated with that. So if you are new to faith, I want you to start with Believe in His Name, which is the Alpha Course. Now, the second pitch stop is Belong to His Family, which is the Rooted Program. That's where you really start belonging. Now, the third part of the journey is Become His Image in This World. Become his image in this world. See, we are not trying to mimic Jesus, okay? We are not becoming Jesus. Very important. There's a subtle difference. We are trying to become his image in this world by reflecting what he did on the cross. That's all it means. I'm not asking all of us, okay, we are going to become like Jesus now, right? That's not it is. That's when we become this holier-than-thou attitude kind of stuff. The, the way we mirror Jesus, the way we become his image in this world, not in the church. Many people say that. I mean, actually, recently I had a conversation with somebody. He said, Pastor Matthew, I, I'm excited that everything right now happening with the missional communities happening, rooted program happening. There are a lot of people are getting out and doing. But... What is our discipleship plan? What is our discipleship plan? And I'm like, what do you mean? What is a discipleship plan? Um, no, but we need to have discipleship. I'm like, what is discipleship? Because the discipleship, as far as I know in the gospel, Jesus preaches, they hear it, they go back and they proclaim it, they come back, Jesus teach, and then they go and they proclaim it, they come back, Jesus teach, that's discipleship. Somehow in the Western world, we thought discipleship means a thick book. Whether it is John MacArthur Bible or Matthew John Bible with this deep notes in Greek and Hebrew and all of that. And we take excellent notes and we memorize everything and we become spiritually formed to do what? For what? You know, for the first 300 to 400 years, there was not even a Bible. No disciples had Bible. Bible came about, came about around 300 to 400 years later. But Christianity had the fastest growth before there was even a Bible. Forget the MacArthur Bible or Matthew John Bible. Even the real Bible. Because that's what they did. They heard, they proclaimed. They came back, they heard, and they proclaimed. They just did not just believe in his name. They just did not just belong to that family. They became his image in the world, in their neighborhood, by doing exactly what Jesus did, which is partying, celebrating, and also bridging the gap. And that's what he did. If you don't understand that as discipleship, we have a fundamental problem. No wonder churches are closing down one after the other. No wonder the young people are, are, are flying away from the church. Because church ultimately, church ultimately is a place of celebration. The New Testament church was a place of celebration even when they go through even they went through the worst kind of persecution. And Paul and Peter had to really get mad at them. Don't bring too much food. The potluck was too much food. Too much eating in the church. Stop doing this. Because there was a, there was a sense of celebration in that community which became contagious. 
But it is also a painful process as you go into the neighborhood and go into that gap and stretch your hand to bridge between your neighbor and Christ, bringing them to the knowledge of God. But that is the ultimate pit stop we are walking into. Now, always remember, become is not just a stop. We are always in the process of becoming. Okay, we believe in his name, we belong to his family, but we are becoming. It's an ongoing process in our neighborhood, becoming his image in his neighborhood. And people also ask me, so is that an actual process, sequential process? Can people belong without believing, you know? Can we first belong and then believe? The answer is both yes and no. Yes, because yes, you are welcome here in our community. We love you being here. You don't have to believe in anything as long as you're here. Our potlucks are open to you. Our party is open to you. We are celebrating life with you. We will walk your journey with you. We are, and actually a, a significant number of people who showed up at our New Year celebration were not even Christians. Some of those young folks walked in and they really enjoyed, they felt that they belong. So you can start your journey by belonging first and then believing. But I also said no because, because belonging, it depends, depending on your definition of belonging, right? For example, you know, I, 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 I'm very close to many families in this world, in different parts of the world. There are people in this, in this, in this world, especially in this church, who consider me like their son. And I consider, me, consider them like my parents. Because I belong to them, you know, whenever they have, and I, they have a need, and I'm, I'm probably the first to know, and I pray with them, and they really love me. I really belong in their family in some way. But as far as I know, my name appears only in one will and testament. That is my dad, poor dad, who was a merchant back in India. His name, his will is the only one that carries my name. Right? What I'm saying is that being in a family really means sharing a DNA. Right? It doesn't matter. I hang out with all of you. But when my daughters come home, I mean, I hardly see them. I see them once a year now, you know, one of them. And very, very rarely I get to see them. But it doesn't matter. I regularly hang out with. When they come home, they are the first who's going to receive my attention. When I go for dinner, I go with my daughters and obviously with my wife because there is, a, there is a sense of belonging, the depth by being part of sharing the DNA. What I'm saying is that a true sense of belonging will come only when we share the DNA of Christ. And that will come only when you believe in Jesus. So we don't want you just to be part of a community. We want you to be part of a family. Family, that's the depth. That's the depth. That's the belonging I want you. So I want you to ideally start with believing in his name so that you will know what true belonging is. And finally, we will be on that journey of becoming uh, in his image in this world. So we are going to enter communion right now. I want you to look at that picture one more time. That discipleship pathway I laid out for you very clearly. This is our discipleship pathway. 
believe in his name, which is an individual thing for us to do. You have to have a relationship with, enter into a relationship with Jesus. Belong to his family is a communal thing. And becoming his image is a missional thing. So we cannot just stop being an individual thing and a community, communal thing, but we have to enter into the missional area. Now, when we are going to do this communion, I am asking you that level of a commitment. See, I told you that Jesus loved a party. He started his ministry, I said, with a party with the Cana, the wedding of Cana. And did you know that he ended his ministry also with a party? That was this party. This was the last thing he did before taking his cross. He invited his disciples, the whole wide world, into this big party heaven has created, which is continuing to unfold through the pages of history, the time, and transcending time and space. And here we are, invited to the same party. I want you to reflect on the cross, and I want you to reflect on that second gap, that second chasm, as we bridges, and I want you to enter into that gap. It's going to be painful. Unfortunately, there is no chair for you in the church. And I'm pushing you to that divide between the secular and the sacred. And I want you to have a commitment to say that I will do what happened, what Jesus did in the first gap. I will do the same thing in the second gap between the church and culture. I'm going to stretch out and it's going to be painful. It's going to stretch my muscles. It's going to challenge my convictions a bit. But I am going to stand like this. And I am really going to bridge that gap. Now that is the commitment I need before you reach out your hands to this communion. Because that is the kind of party Jesus has prepared for us. Let's say a prayer. Father God, thank you for clearly laying out a discipleship pathway for us. We as a church community commit our allegiance to you and you alone. We believe in your name, we belong to your family, and we go out from here with a pledge to say that we will be on this journey to continue becoming your image in this world. As we enter into this deep dividing chasm, Lord, we meditate on the cross. And as in Hebrew 12 says, the joy that was set before him. Lord, even in the pain on the cross, there was a joy that you had right in front of the cross. So we thank you for the fact that we are your joy. <laughs> As we are partying from this, this is the joy that brought you on the cross. So here we are, Lord. Give us that joy of bringing our entire neighborhood 
to the ultimate salvation and the liberation that you have offered through your son. Help us to be in your image on an everyday basis. In Jesus' name, amen.